The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief uh, priest made plans, plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young, young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let's pray. Father, Father, we pray for a voice that is not ours, for a spirit that is not ours. We pray for your voice. We pray for your spirit to come down. Father, as we hear your message, uh, may it cut cut, uh, through our hearts like a knife make it relevant, make the gospel true. Father, we, ble- we are blessed to be here. We are blessed to know you. And we welcome your spirit and we welcome your word in our hearts and our minds. For there is only one God in our lives, and that is you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. If you didn't know, it's Ryan's birthday today, so make sure you tell Ryan happy birthday. The birthday man. All right, so if you're new this morning, welcome to Grace City. And uh, we are starting right now, it's a great time to jump in because we are starting a new series called The Hope of Glory. And this is a series particularly about the heart. We're going to be talking about the heart because when we talk about glory, uh, the question is this Who's the ruler of your heart? Who's on the, the seat of the throne? of your heart. And we come to this very famous passage of scripture, Jesus, the triumphal entry, entering into the city on his way to die for us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, I think this is a great time for us to really focus on this passage as we prepare our hearts for Advent season coming up. And Advent is just a fancy way of saying, you know, this, the coming of Jesus the coming of Jesus into the world as, as our Savior, right? So we're, we're moving into this time, Christmas season's coming up. And what better time to pause and to really think on the glory of God than this time right now? Because many of us are not thinking about God's glory. We're thinking about gifts and things that need to happen and all those things. But when you, you focus and you see the glory of God, a lot of those worries will start to melt away. You see, God's glory is, is better than whatever it is we're focusing on right now. And, and this is the thing. Here's my hope. That your affections for Jesus will be stirred. That you, you will love Jesus more as we start to focus on him and his glory. And that whatever has that place in your life right now, that, that it will start to fall flat. It will start to fade away. Because you start to see that Jesus is better. I want us to know this today. That type of thinking, it's not natural. 
It's not natural. So if you're coming in here thinking, well, you're preaching this and, and I gotta love Jesus more, I just want you to know that that's not natural. It's something that God does. He can do that in your life. He can stir you to the point where you start to see that Jesus is better than those other things. But you have to come to him. I had this really interesting conversation this past week with a couple that helped start uh, Grace City Church, uh, Sal and Caitlin. And, and one of the things that they asked me, and this is just Sal, you know, just kind of coming up with this question, but he says, Randall, what percent of people do you think are reading their Bibles at Grace City? What percentage do you think? I said, Sal, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know. 30, 40, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that question. But here's what I told him. I said, the only way that that statistic goes up is when we start to treasure Jesus. It's when we start to treasure him in our hearts and say, Jesus is more valuable than the things I'm distracted by right now. And we start to see that his word is valuable in our lives. I just want you to know that's, that's not natural. And so we have to come to God and we have to ask him to help us to treasure your word. And so I'm just going to stop, pause for a minute and just pray that we will. That we will. And so let's go to him now in prayer. Father, I pray that you break us out of the routine. You break us outside of the mold. You break us outside of our natural thinking. And Father, you get us to this place where we see Jesus for who he truly is. It's not just about coming and, and gathering and hearing a word today. It's about hearing from you. And so God, I pray that you break through and you help us to see that your word just have this, this value of like, th this is better than anything I've ever heard and I can't do that for anybody in here today, and I can't even do that for myself. So we need your spirit to intervene, Lord. Help us, just take away the veil. Help us to see this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our text this morning, John 12, nine through 15. Uh, the title of this message is The King of Glory. The King of Glory. And, and so what's, what's happening in this passage of scripture today? Well, here's what it is. It is this ticker tape parade. It's, it's a coronation, right? We, we know a lot about that because we celebrate sports, don't we? I mean, this, this past week, something incredible happened that had not happened in 108 years in Chicago. The Chicago Cubs finally won the World Series. And some people are excited about it. Yeah. Like, I live in San Diego. Who cares? There are people... We're having their own little celebrations, their own little coronation parties in their homes. I've seen it. I, I saw it on Facebook Live. I mean, they're just filming themselves, celebrating. And what this is in today's text is Jesus entering the city and the people having this huge coronation, a celebration. And during this entry, this triumphal entry, they have this choice. As Jesus enters the city, they will either crown him as king or kill him. 
Because what Jesus is announcing is, is this really bold statement. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the king you've always been looking for. Like, I know you've been searching your whole life, but I'm the king that you've been looking for. Will you come to me? See, deep down, all of us need a king, whether we believe it or not. And whether this is your first time or you've been here before, you're searching for a king. That's something I know, that we know, because the Bible tells us that, and and really, it, it is true. Even in my own life, I've done it. See, deep down, all of us are searching. And, um, I mean, what better time to think about that as the election comes up, right? Some of us right now, we're looking for a king or a queen to solve all of our issues. And in uh, January 2014, this writer, author, Michael Oslin, uh, wrote an article in the American Enterprise Institute, and it, it was called this. He, he wrote it. He says, America needs a king. That's what he says. It's a pretty audacious article. But here's what he says. He says, there is, for many Americans, nowhere to turn to find a sense of common meaning. Not politics. Nine out of ten polls recorded that 60% or more of respondents feel the country is on the wrong track. Politicians are despised as a class with congressional uh, approval at an astonishingly low astonishingly low 6%. Not the courts. The Supreme Court is now viewed unfavorably by nearly half the country. Only American popular culture substitutes for a sense of community. With sports and film stars looked up to as exemplars, despite their often lurid and sensational antics and unreachable wealth. We're looking for a king. And these days, we are willing to make a king out of anyone Because deep down, we all need it. And if you don't find a king in Jesus, you will find it somewhere else. You'll be looking. Whether it be the next political candidate, a cause, a romantic relationship. Some of you right now, you're looking for it on Tinder. I know it. But I want you to know that it will not fulfill you. See, we look for something or someone to be the answer. And one of the saddest scriptures that I think in Israel's history was when they were looking for a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's entitled, Israel Demands a King. And here's what's happening. Samuel is approached by the people, Israel, and they say, we no longer want to be under God's system. Right, like God's way of how he set things up. We don't, we don't want to be under that anymore. We want our own way. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. Samuel, give us a king. And Samuel's distraught. And he comes to God, and, and here's what God says to him. I think, again, this is one of the saddest scriptures because this is the reality of our hearts. He says this. They have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They've rejected me. Like Samuel, I know you're distraught right now because you feel like they've rejected you in some way. No, 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 they've rejected me. 
I want you to know that that's the truth, that we have rejected the true king. And we've been on this search ever since. It's what George MacDonald calls the one principle of hell. He says, I am my own. I've got this. I'm my own. I'm my own person. I make my own decisions, and so I don't need God. I want something. I want to make it my own way. And so think about this for a minute. It's almost as if there's like this memory trace in all of us, right? To a time when there was a king, a better king than the one that we try and make in our lives right now. I mean, don't you feel it? Don't you feel like there's this memory trace that goes back? Because look, I mean, think about stories, legends, all of these things, all throughout the human race about a lost king. And here's how that story usually goes, right? I mean, you think about all the the legends in in history. There was once a king. It was a great king. Under that king's leadership, everything flourished. But then somehow that, that king disappeared, is now gone. But someday that king will be back. And when that king comes back, someday everything will be right. I mean, think about all the different stories that, that, that just reflect this, that point to this. The Narnia is the Lord of the Rings, the King Arthur, right? The once and future king, King Arthur. We all want something better. We all are believing that there will be that king someday that will make all things right. You see, this story is written into the fabric of the world, and the beauty is, it's not a legend or fable, it's true. There is a greater king. There is a king that under his leadership, we are meant to flourish, and when he rules, everything will be made right. And the question is, when will he come back? And what does he look like? And so today our text is John 12, 9 through 15. And the setting of this is that Jesus had just raised a man from the dead. His name's Lazarus. He's a good friend of Jesus. And uh, his, Jesus' following is starting to grow because they start to hear about Lazarus and about how Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And people are interested. They want to see what Jesus is about. And in this text, Jesus is very deliberate about every detail that happens as he enters into the city because here's what he knows. He knows that the hunger that people have for the king. He knows the need that they all have. And so he says, I'm going to be very deliberate in how I enter because I want to make a significant statement about who I am. Commentator D.A. Carson says about this verse, he says, this is a deliberate act of symbolic self-disclosure for those with eyes to see. Secrecy was being lifted. Right, the veil was being lifted and, and now we are able to see Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus? He's the king of glory. He's the king we've always been looking for. He's the king that will make all things right. And so what happens when his glory is revealed? I'm gonna give you all three points from this text up front and here's what we find. The first one is this. 
Number one, the underlying issue. Number two, the unmet need. And number three, the unlikely method. The underlying issue, the unmet need, the unlikely method. And so the first point, as we look at this text today, starts in verses 9 through 11, and it's the underlying issue. And so let's look at that text together. Here's what it says. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There's a buzz. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. See that as well part? They're already ready to put Jesus to death. Now it's Lazarus too. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So as we read this text, what was the underlying issue? The underlying issue was Jesus. It was Jesus. And so in verse 10, it says that the chief priests made plans They conspired. They came together. They said, how can we squash Jesus? How can we get rid of Jesus? We don't want any part with Jesus, and so how do we get him out of the picture? And we'll do anything to make that happen, even taking out Lazarus. This is the root of our problem, the problem you and I have, control. See, the the plan wasn't unfolding the way that the religious leaders wanted it to. The plan wasn't unfolding the way that the Pharisees thought it should. So they wanted control. You hear the same undertones in a psalm, uh, Psalm 2, 1 through 3. It's an interesting psalm, but it's actually a messianic psalm, a psalm talking about the coming Messiah and how he'd respond. And so Psalm 2, 1 through 3, here's what it says. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What is that saying? That within ourselves, within our natural selves, we don't want Jesus to be in charge. And so what we do is we try to break, th- break free from it. Break free. I, I don't want to be a part of that. Get, just get it off of me. I want to be my own ruler. I, I want to choose my own I want to be in charge. I want control. This is humanity saying, God, get out of my life. See, we we might say today, well, Randall, people don't hate God. I mean, come on, like 89% of people today, I mean, it was 92%, now it's gone to 89%, but people still believe in God. I'm not saying that people don't believe in God. What I'm saying is people don't want the God of the Bible. We don't want the biblical God. Because the biblical God says, I made you. I'm ruler over all things. All things are mine. I'm creator. And I made you for me. That's what he says. See, it's not whether we believe in God. 
It's whether we want the biblical God. See, and when we start to say that, we start to squirm, right? I I don't know if I want that in my life. He's gotten a little too close. There's a New York Times article on uh, Christopher Hitchens, who's a famed atheist, and in uh, 2009, he wrote this book. He said, it's called God is Not Great. And Michael Kinsley was writing an article about the book, and here's what his take on Hitchens was as he read this book. He says, uh, if God would just leave the world alone, Hitchens would be glad to let him exist quietly in retirement somewhere. Do you, do you see that it's, it's God, I don't, fine, I don't care if you exist, I don't really care if you're out there, I just don't want you in my life. Rolling things, raining things, I don't know about that. Why were the religious leaders ready to murder Jesus and Lazarus? Because Jesus came to rule and reign. And he entered the city declaring that he was king. John 12, 43, a little bit further down, says this about what they were going through. It says, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Right, like this is the thing that was deep down in them. Like I, I love taking credit, being in control, being the religious person that everybody looks to rather than people looking to God. They wanted to be God. And that hunger for glory, it pushed them to places that they probably never thought they would go. They knew it was wrong to murder. They knew it was wrong. But they became a person that they probably never thought they would be because at this point they are plotting to murder not only Jesus but also Lazarus. See this underlying issue, it will take you to dark places. And so are we willing to admit, the second point, the unmet need? The unmet need that we all have within us. And you can find it in verses 12 and 13. It says, the next day, uh, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The people here are acknowledging they need something more. They're acknowledging that, hey, the, the, this, this might be the answer. This might be the solution. This might be the, the one that we've been looking for this whole time. You see, because there was 400 years of silence where God did not speak to his people. And he said he wasn't going to speak to me. He said, when I come onto the scene, it's going to be the Savior. It's going to be the one that's going to come. It's going to be the Messiah who's going to come on the scene. And so they're like, maybe this could be the king. You see, they had this tension inside, this tension that needed to be resolved. 
And so they go to this word, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save, please, right? Like we're, we're singing this today, like Hosanna, Hosanna, what does this mean? Like save, please. It's from Psalm 118, verse 25. And, and, and at this point, when they say Hosanna, it was this desperate cry for help. Right, like on the other side, now that we know Jesus, that song Hosanna, it's this glorious praise that our prayers have been heard. But at this point, they're saying, this has, like, we need this to happen. And, and, and at this point, what they were looking for wasn't necessarily what God was intending. They, they, they were looking for a political ruler. They, 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 they were thinking, okay, this is the one who's going to overthrow Rome. So when he comes into the city, he's going to take care of things. And you know what? We're going to be awesome again. We're going we're gonna to be great. That's what he's saying. So it's like when, when, he, when, when he's coming into the city, they're like, great. He's going to take care of the Romans. He's going to kick them out. And everything's going to be made right for us again. Friends, I want you to hear this today because this election's coming up. I want you to hear this. I'm not going to get into all the political stuff, who you vote for, any of those things, but I want you to hear this. The only way that things are going to be made right in this world is when Jesus comes. Jesus is king. And we might be putting our hopes into this political system and saying, okay, this is going to be the answer for my life, but I want you to know this. He's the only one that can resolve the issues that we have that are a lot deeper than just the system and the way this country is being run. He goes after the heart. We have a deep heart issue, friends. And Jesus is saying, I came to solve that. Because that's going to be the true change that we've always been looking for and that we still haven't found yet. See, Jesus didn't come to be this temporary king. I mean, think about the scriptures. Like they came, again, like trying to lift him up, trying to say, you're gonna be the king, you're gonna be the king. Every time he disappeared, he says, I'm out of here. I'm not gonna be that. I'm not gonna be what you want me to be. Because I know you need something more. And so on his terms, he came into the city. And he says, I'm not gonna be your temporary king. I'm here to be your eternal king. That was the need that they ultimately needed then and we still need today. We still need it today. And so go vote this week. Do it as your political, like, okay, like sensitive, like God has given us this great gift. Go do that. Don't disengage from the process. But just know that Jesus is enough. Whatever happens, whatever happens, Jesus is enough. And we put our faith and our trust in him. All right, and so the third point is this, the unlikely method. The unlikely method. Verses 14 and 15. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. As we read this, 
we're talking about an unlikely method. This is, this scene of Jesus entering the city is almost laughable. He's coming in, not on a conquering war horse, but he's coming on a donkey. Not even a grown adult donkey, a young donkey. So this means that this donkey had probably never even been ridden before. It, it almost is comedic, right? Hold on, that's the, save, that's, that's the king, that's the ruler, that's the one that's, that's coming in to, to save us? It's truly an unconventional method for a king to come in this way. But God said, this is my way. Isaiah 62, 11, 700 years earlier, was already prophesied. He said, this is the way I'm going to come in. Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9, 500 years earlier, he says, this is the way I'm going to come in. And the reason is, it answers the question of what kind of king God is. Right, like we've got all of these celebrations, all of these people that we lift up and we find out what their character truly is when they're lifted up. But when we lift up God, what we find is that he is a humble king, an approachable king, a grace-filled king, a loving king, a gentle king, and that he's a king that removes every barrier for the lowly, for the broken to come to him. You know what's more relatable than a war horse? A young donkey coming in, not declaring an insurrection. I'm going to take over. But coming in, saying I'm coming in peace. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to meet you right where you're at. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That, that Jesus didn't come as what he could have. Right, like we think of God. Like, how, what do you picture God as? Like this angry dad who's coming in just to bring the hammer down? Like, what do you picture? Because Jesus says, look at this picture. This is the picture of God, that God comes in gently, lovingly, caring for the people, saying, I'm here. I'm here, but I'm not here for myself. I'm here for you. I'm here to go die for you. He's the ultimate peace offering. And he said, I'm not going to send somebody else to do it. I'm going to come myself. Right? Like, that's what Jesus has done for us. I love Matthew 11, 29 through 30. It really is one of my favorite scriptures. I know pastors say that stuff all the time. This is my favorite scripture. This is my favorite scripture. No, this, this really is. Because this is one of the only places where Jesus describes himself. 
And what he says is this, take my yoke upon you. You remember what we talked about earlier, that Psalm 2? The yoke, taking on. Get that off of me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and here's what you'll experience. He says, learn from me. That you can come to God and you can learn from him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's everything that we didn't expect. It's everything that's off the grid when we're talking about God, isn't it? All of the thoughts that we thought that God was like this or like that. He's the, the one that's just going to tell us what to do. And that's what we thought in Psalm 2. He's not that person. He's totally unlikely. He's the king who comes and serves the people and says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's humble. That's the leader we've always been looking for, isn't it? I mean, when, when, when you meet leaders and when you meet people in key positions and you talk with them and then you find out just for a second or for a fragment, whenever you talk with them, you find out that they were humble? You're like, whoa. I, I, I really like that person. I want to be around that person. But when you actually think and talk, when we're talking about God, like the, the one who could be the one who could bring down the hammer, he's, he's humble. That's totally off the grid for us. See, the method that Jesus chose reveals the character of who he is as king. And so just some takeaways for today are this. Uh, first, it's how do we respond to the glory of the king? How do we respond to the glory of the king? We see him for who he is, how do you respond? So the first takeaway is this, see what kind of king Jesus is. This has to sink deep into our hearts. You've got to see what kind of king he is. He's not a proud king, he's a suffering king. He is the suffering king. And when you see him riding on a donkey on his way to the cross, it starts to change you, it really does. It changes your heart. It starts to melt you. It's like that old Puritan saying, it's, it's like the sun will either melt the ice or harden the clay. Melt the ice or harden the clay. That's what's happening here as they see Jesus coming in on this donkey. It's hardening the hearts of some because they want their own personal glory. Nothing can take that from me. But it's melting the ice of many who are seeing the humble king enter into the city Timothy Keller says this. He says, don't forget this. Jesus is not just, say, uh, not just a king. He's a king on a cross. If he were only a king on a throne, you'd submit to him because you have to. But he's a king who went to the cross for you. Therefore, you can submit to him out of love and trust. This means coming to him, not negotiating, but saying, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you send, I will accept. It melts you. Do you see what kind of king Jesus is? The second takeaway is this. See the desperate crowd. 
See the desperate crowd. These are people who are at the end of their rope. This is a cry, Lord, I have nowhere else to go. As a, as a young parent, I have felt this many a time. I felt it at 4 or 5 a.m. this morning as my kids did not get the message that it was daylight savings time. Right, like you're, they're, they're, they're waking us up and I'm like, Lord, like I, this is, you know, like you get to the end of your rope, right? You know, this is, all I've got is you, God. Help me. And, um, That cry is because we all need a king. And if you don't look to Jesus, you will have to look to some, something or somewhere else. You'll just start looking in other places. And, uh, you know, it's funny. This past week, my, my daughter, she's three, she came up to me and, she, you know, I was working and, and she's like, Daddy! Daddy! Like, yes. <laughs> daddy! Daddy! Like, she's like very passionate. Daddy! Daddy! Like, screaming like trying to get my attention, and very desperate, right? She looks at me, she says, Daddy! Uh, Kai, who's my six-year-old, she's like, Kai wants me to listen to him. Daddy, I want to listen to God. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool, you know? But... What, what we're seeing in this text as we're looking at this crowd is like they, they, they want to listen to God, like, but they didn't know how to. This was the best approach that they had. Like, this is the best I've got. Like, and you don't see Jesus coming in condemning them for it. I'm just not going to come into the city because you're not cheering the right way. You're, you, don't, you don't understand exactly how I'm coming into the city and what I'm really intending to do. And so I'm not coming in until you understand that. No, he just entered the city because he saw desperate people. And then eventually they would understand. Here's the thing about my daughter. She didn't understand what she was saying yet. She's doing that out of just a three-year-old mindset. It was funny because my four-year-old chimes in with some theology, right? She's just like, well, you know, God is invisible. And so, uh, you know, like, where, where does he live? Where's he at? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess he's inside of us. I mean, she's having these conversations with herself, right? Like, as she's just talking about who God is. But here's the thing. Like, th this was a desperate crowd, and Jesus knew that, and Jesus just tells them to come to him like little children. Here's the thing about little children. Little children don't understand it all. They don't get it all. But there is an invitation that's open. And the thing about children are, they are very desperate. You think about the times of Jesus. Like Jesus' time, they, they only had their, they had to depend on their parents for everything. And so this crowd is coming to Jesus like little children, just shouting out. And so do you see that crowd and do you come to Jesus like that? Because really, that, that's the only way I've made it in my Christian life. Is continually coming to him like a little child saying, God, I don't know. I, I need you to hold me. I need you to get me through this. I need you to show me the way, like show me the path. And so it is truly like a desperate dependence on God. And do you listen to God like that? Do you listen to God like that? Do you want that? Because even 
yesterday I was driving in the car, talking with my wife. I'm just like, Laura, I got to hear his voice. I have to hear his voice. That's the only thing that keeps me going. I got to hear his voice. Do you have that type of desperation? Because then you'll start to see the king. You will. You'll start to see him, and he'll start to come through in ways that you never thought, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. And then the last takeaway is this. See that weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. I, l- I always love that title by J.I. Packer when he talks about it. Weakness is the way. This is the way of Jesus. And it's totally counterintuitive to the way that we see life. What Jesus says is like, if you humble yourself, you'll be lifted up. If you, if you lift yourself up, you will be brought down. It's the way of the kingdom. It does not make sense. See, in the kingdom of God, it is totally different. And what J.I. Packer says in that book is this. He says, the the way of true spiritual strength leading to real fruitfulness in Christian life and service is the humble, self-distrustful way of consciously recognized weakness in spiritual things. Do you have a self-distrustful attitude about life? Because as you start to see that you can't trust yourself, you start to depend on the king. You start to look to the king. I'm not king or ruler of my life anymore. The thing about the Pharisees were, they were the kings and rulers of their own lives. They didn't see life through a distrustful self-distrustful way. They saw it as they knew the way. They knew the path. And what that does is it blinds you to the truth. I always thought this quote was interesting from Queen Elizabeth of England because she understood this when she said this. She says this, um, I wish I could be alive when Christ returns because I would like to be the first earthly monarch to take my crown and lay it at his feet. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it is. See, but, but you, don't, you don't have to be a, a ruler to lay down your crown. It's coming to him in response to the gospel. It's a response to seeing the king See, it's a response to when you see Jesus riding through the city completely humble, saying, I've come here for you. I've come here to die on a cross for you. The reason he entered the city was because he came to die. It is the the suffering king. That's the picture. And as you see the suffering king entering the city more and more, and you see that this isn't about his rights because he laid down all his rights. This isn't about him holding on to his life. This is him laying down his life. And as you see all of those things happening, you will look to the cross and see what was right over his head when it says this in Matthew 27, verse 37. Then over his head, they put the charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
And he won't just be the king of the Jews, he will be the king of your life. It'll change. Because what you'll see is not weakness as Jesus is on the cross, but the greatest strength that this world has ever seen. The greatest victory that this world has ever seen. As you look up to him and say, Lord, the things that I valued in this world, the things that I thought were better than you, they do not compare. They fail in comparison to the beauty of the humble king giving up his life for me, for you. And what you'll do is your only response will be to take off the crown and to lay it at his feet because he's the true king. He's the king of glory. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that today we see the beauties of who you are and what you've done. God, we, we don't appreciate you for who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal to us the glories of Jesus, the treasures of Jesus, the mysteries of the cross, that we will dive in more and more to know you. Like Paul prays, he says, I, I, I pray that I will know you, that the, the power of your resurrection, the power of the cross. God, may we see the power of the resurrection, the power of the cross, the hope of glory that is found in Jesus. We come praying now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.